Welcome to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. Priceless inspiration and advice for street photographers everywhere. Hello again and welcome to episode 40 of the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And this is the place for inspiration and advice by street photographers for street photographers. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope you enjoy it. Our guest today is Carrie Faulkner. She's an Australian journalist, photojournalist, and educator based in the city of Perth. Her work has been published in magazines and other publications like The Walkley Magazine, The Australian Traveler and Indulgence, Scoop Magazines, R.M. Williams Outback Magazine, The Sunday Times, and too many others to mention here. Needless to say, she's quite busy. Carrie tells us that in today's market, journalists not only have to be skilled writers, but they also have to be good photographers and sometimes videographers. It reminds me of the reporter Edison Carter in the 1980s satirical dystopian science fiction television series Max Headroom. We won't go there now, but check it out and you'll know what I mean. Carrie is a very fine photojournalist who uses those skills to create some very compelling street images. And I really enjoyed our conversation because she's a journalist and she turned the tables on me and began to interview me, which was really a lot of fun. I guess she can't help herself. So anyway, sit back and have a listen to our conversation with journalist Carrie Faulkner. And with us today is Carrie Faulkner. Carrie is a freelance journalist from Perth, Australia. She's way over there on the other side of the world, but we were able to get time where all three of us can talk at the same time. And uh, Carrie is not just a journalist. She is a damn fine photographer. As a professional storyteller, I think we can learn a lot from her. Of course, also with me today is Ashley Huntsberger, our editor. So uh, welcome, Ashley. How are you today? Thank you. Doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah, and Ashley, I don't know if it's a secret or not, is uh, going to be going to be moving to the other side of the world <laughs> in a few weeks. Yeah, um, moving to moving to Vietnam for a while. Going to test the water over there. Going to go check it out. And I'm sure you'll have many stories to talk about that. Yeah, we're we're definitely excited. I'm excited for you. <laughs> um, and then yeah, our guest, uh, Carrie Faulkner. Carrie, um, Carrie, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really good to talk to you. And Ashley, of course. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, Carrie is, uh, well, actually I met, met Carrie on, the, um, on our uh, Facebook group. And if you haven't joined our Facebook group, I uh, recommend you do. And the easiest way to get there is just go to the link talkstreetphotography.com. And that takes you right to the Facebook group and you can join. But, uh, yeah, like I said, Carrie is a uh, Perth-based freelance journalist. Yeah. And she yeah, she writes and photographs for newspapers and magazines. And I think uh, remind, you remind me a lot of uh, Gina Williams, who has contributed to the magazine. She's been on here, even got to meet her in person last year. She was trained as a journalist okay. and uh, went to work in business. And then when her kids grew up, she got back into it. And now she travels the world and wow. uh, does some really cool stuff. So, Carrie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how you got to be a journalist. Yeah, okay. Well, I um, um, I was doing a different job working in a post office and I decided to go back to university and qualify as a um, journalist, um, which I did, you know, really long time ago. And um, I worked on newspapers and magazines and that sort of thing. I actually started off freelancing just for myself when I left university, writing for magazines. And I've I've kind of come full circle because I've worked for different publications and now I'm back freelancing. So I freelance um, because it allows me the freedom. Um, I have a child with special needs, so it's very difficult to go to a workplace given that I need to have lots of time off or to work odd hours. 
So I work um, for myself and it's and I'm really, really enjoying it. I've been doing it now for the last four or five years, freelancing, and um, I absolutely love it. Um, and, of course, um, being a writer and writing the stories, it just makes sense to be a photographer as well. So I've sort of gradually um, built up those skills. I must say, though, Bob, that... My photography had to take a, a bit of a back seat for a really, really long time and I just focused on, on writing because I had um, too much on my hands, I guess, in terms of looking after m- my daughter. Um, but two or three years ago I really um, picked up the camera again in earnest and this is when I, I kind of <laughs> discovered this amazing um, genre which is um, street photography, which is what you're all about. Yeah, I'm interested to hear from you, Carrie. I feel like there's such a fine line between um, what a journalist does, documentary photography and street photography. Do you feel like that too? I do. And I've given this such a lot of thought about the different um, definitions of street photography and documentary photography and photojournalism and being a journalist. And they're all very, very closely related and there's so much overlap and it's almost like you can do away with those definitions because um, they all merge in some way, in some respects, I think. Um, Although, you know, street photography has a definite feel, if you like, and documentary photography, I guess, is a different is telling a story in a different way, but they're all all telling stories. I guess that's what I'm getting at in a roundabout sort of yeah. way. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I feel like the difference simply is that documentary photography comes with words <laughs> more often than street photography. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because there are these um, uh, purists who, I guess, um, with their street photography, they don't like to caption it because they feel that the, the image should entirely tell the story so they they don't want to caption their stories at all that the picture should be what it is and interpreted as as the viewer wants to interpret it yeah yeah that's definitely true I feel like I always want the words though because I am a lover of words (laughs) yeah and sometimes I'm the same Ashley I can't resist adding the words because I just think that something needs to be said and that picture helps helps to say it, I guess. Do you, do you find that as well? Uh, you know, sometimes, yes. Sometimes I feel like there is a story behind an image, but I don't mm. ma- perhaps tell it, but I know it. <laughs> yeah. But I often like yeah. to know the story behind someone else's f- photograph if they haven't included a caption. Oh, so do I. I love, I love reading the stories about how people make their images, and I, that's why I love listening to photographers and going out with different photographers and seeing how they do it and seeing what the story is behind it. And it's quite often the case that if you go out with another photographer, you'll come back with very different images. And I love looking at the different ways that people have seen a scene that contains the same things. It's really, it's really, yeah. really interesting. And I learned so much doing that. Mm. That could be another difference, I feel, with street photography. It's a little more personal. It's a little more about who you are as a person, um, whereas with documentary photography, you set out to tell the story of another person. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's why a lot of people like that freedom of street photography and being able to tell their own story and interpret things in their own in their own particular way. Um, I, I, I love it as a genre. I love it um, looking at the, all the different types and, um, you know, using high contrast, using low contrast, using... Um, using colour, using all the different things that people do use to create their street photography. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, I'm so glad that I, I found it, although at times I do get a little bit too focused on it and a little bit too obsessed about it and I kind of have to go, <laughs> I, I need to take a step back and think about things a little more and then um, have, you know, do it again. But um but, yeah, I'm constantly thinking about it, I think, about photography. I'm sure you find the same thing, though. You know, being a photographer, Bob, you maybe um, think about photography all the time. And, Ashley, you, you probably do the same. You know, particularly if you've got a trip coming up, like you have a trip to Vietnam. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely every trip is an opportunity to oh, take your yeah. skills a little farther. <laughs> I know. It's like getting a new lolly jar and, um, you know, <laughs> taking the lid off the lolly jar and wondering what this wonderful country, you know, what you're going to find in there. It's it's amazing. And um, Hanoi, I loved for its street photography, you know, so much colour and so much activity and uh, it, it was fantastic. I loved it. So I hope you enjoy it as much. I'm sure we will. Yeah. I can't wait to read your story, Ashley, that Bob's told me about for the upcoming magazine, I must say. Uh, I'll <laughs> um, pay you guys later, okay? Yeah, about your <laughs> your, your film camera um, outing. So everyone should keep an yes. ear out for that. <laughs> yes. How? So do you have you experimented with film or do you mostly use digital? And what was no. it like for you to okay. get into photography? What what made you say I have to do this? What was it like? Um, so when I first started taking photographs, I was using film because that's all there was, and that's how old I am. So I, um, when I was at university, um, we we were developing in a dark room and using film, and um, I love photography from from that very point, but. It was my um, writing that um, really took off and the photography kind of took a back a back seat to it. But when mm-hmm. I got into photography, just um, when I sort of really picked up the camera in earnest again uh, and really wanted to develop some new skills and some new areas of interest, uh, what it was is just this, uh, I guess it was this latent passion for photography that I just never allowed myself the time to really develop. And then I got to a point where I had the time to do it. And it was uh, quite serendipitous, I guess, if there's such a word, in that that time coincided with um, meeting someone who was really interested, a photographer, who was really interested in exploring street photography and understanding the techniques a little more. And she asked me to go along with her to meet this street photographer and go on an outing so that she could figure out what it was all about and how to do it. Uh, And so I went along and I just went, oh, wow, I love this. This is such (laughs) so interesting. And I got some really good results and, and I found it very challenging as well, which I think is part of why I like street photography so much it's really challenging on many levels and I don't know if other people find it the same way. Um, I think so. We just um, interviewed a photographer recently who is a professional photographer, but he said that he always considers street photography a training ground from the beginning still to this day because there's so many factors, so many things going on. I think that's right. And it's a training ground not only in terms of Uh, the technical use of the camera and the variety of ways that you can use the camera and different lenses in street photography, but also in terms of relating to people uh, and approaching people and dealing with difficult situations with people. And I guess I'm thinking that that's what he meant when he spoke about it being a training ground because you're acquiring all these skills um, that you will use in your other types of photography. Is that right? Is that how he how he was talking about that? You know, I think he was referring more to the technical aspects of photography, but mm-hmm. I think you're completely right. I think there's a human element to it and a, an interaction factor that yeah. it definitely is something you have to learn. Oh, definitely. And it's really hard. I mean, I'm not naturally an extroverted person. I'm quite reserved, I would say, even an introverted person. So one of the biggest challenges of street photography is uh, approaching uh, people or having people knowing that I'm taking their photo. Mm -hmm. And it's a really long process to get get comfortable Mm -hmm. with that. And I've really listened um, to how other people how other people do it and it really interests me because photographers like Suzanne Stein who um, photographs a lot of the uh, homeless and the and the poor in um, in American cities and she does it in a in a very uh, beautiful way and 
as she says, it's about building relationships. It's not kind of wanting to sneak a photo. It's actually overtly taking a photo and having that interaction and it being an open, inter- an honest interaction. And um, I really like that style um, of approaching people. Mm. Yeah. I would have thought that it would have come naturally to you as someone who's been a journalist for many years. I know. A lot of people, uh, do you mean sort of approaching people? Yeah, just talking to yeah. strangers and people you don't know. Yeah. So I, it's always been a difficulty for me as a journalist as well. It's something that I've had to work on um, and I have strategies <laughs> for doing that. And I guess in, in photography, my strategy for doing that is to, I kind of slip into a little bit of um, work journalist mode, um, uh, a little bit of professional mode, um, and that helps me to approach people, I guess, in that respect. And also it helps me to not take rejection personally because as a journalist I've had to um, yeah. learn to cope with people being rude to me, people hanging up on me, people abusing me and yeah. and, and those sorts of things. So uh, I've, I've become less thin-skinned and that has helped um, also in, um, in the photography sphere as well, for sure. Yeah. 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 I know um, many people who are uh, photojournalists and when they're, and they're going to publish a photo of somebody, they, they have to get their name mm. and, uh, you know, their approval to use the photo in the newspaper. Yeah. And they say when they do street photography for their own personal enjoyment, they feel liberated in some ways because they don't have yeah. to stop and get the people's information. Yeah. They can just keep moving and keep photographing. Yeah. I, I can see that that is liberating because I've been at events photographing for, you know, for, for say a social spread in the newspaper or something and you have to get everyone's name and everyone's title and who was standing on the left and who was standing on the right. And it is, it's, mm-hmm. it's a pain in the ass and it's time consuming. <laughs> so I can see where it is liberating, you know, not to have to do that, not to have to worry about those little details. Yeah, definitely. So I want to back up for a second. You said that you read a lot about this, this part of street photography um, you know, approaching people. What what did you learn from everything you read from everyone? You know, Suzanne Stein. Is there any like specific lessons you took away that have been helping you? Uh, definitely. It's um, I think the most important lesson is it's about it's almost it's about the interaction. It's not it's not so much hiding that you want to take that person's photo and getting a candid photo so much. It's about taking the candid photo and then interacting in such a way that you're not that you that you're actually relating to that person. So you're interested in what that person's doing, or um, you're interested in how that person's looking, or or what they're seeing, and and it's kind of having this small relationship, which is a bit more time consuming than just just taking the photo and moving on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense though. Make both parties more comfortable. Yeah, I, but I feel the same as you. Like sometimes you feel almost guilty if you take a picture of someone and they shoot you a mean look, and then mm. you feel bad about it. But if you have that little interaction, then it's okay mm. for everybody. <laughs> That's right, and people are glad that you're actually interested in them and what they might be doing. Uh, but different photographers have different approaches. I've been out photographers that just kind of spring up in front of someone's face and take and take the photo and. Um, oh yeah 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 some people are very totally comfortable doing that (laughs) yeah I know and there's an amazing photographer in Sydney who does that using a flash (laughs) (laughs) a copycat yeah so um, and I I really like his work and I've actually thought about you know maybe trying that but I think I'd have to work up some courage (laughs) quite a bit if you do build up to that then you have to Mm. share that story with us because I, oh. Like personally, I can't see myself ever doing that, even though mm. I have seen images that have been really interesting and that come from that style. Mm. <laughs> I, I just like have it in, already absorbed. I could never do that. <laughs> yeah, that's OK. It's yeah. good to know what your limits are. I think that's important <laughs> as well. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm. 
push the envelope a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think I do like to challenge myself in that respect. I do like to go into difficult situations and perhaps see what happens, um, which is probably not, not probably not a good thing in some situations. <laughs> well, I think it's a good thing in a lot of other situations. <laughs> yeah. I have a I have a question, and actually, the question is probably probably for both of you, mm. uh, and it's about writing. Mm. Um, I mean, personally, I you know I I struggle with writing. I like to write, but I struggle with it, and and just probably sit around and fret about it more than I actually do it. And so, I'm interested in what kind of process you have for for writing something. I mean, you know, coming up with the idea and, and, um, uh, sort of, uh, cooking the idea and then actually, actually writing. I mean, do you just like sit down and just start to type and it comes out or do you have a set way of doing it each time? And it, that question's for both of you because, mm. you know, Ashley is, is a writer and mm. very good at it. So how do you do it, Ashley? How's your process? Oh, and then I'll tell you. Ah, ah, she's ducking the question. <laughs> okay, well, oh, start I'm, with me, but I'm we're coming back to you, Carrie. <laughs> oh, Ashley's only got a couple more minutes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You go first. Okay, well, I, as a freelance writer, so often I'll write for other people. In that case, I find it... Um, in some ways more challenging and in some ways easier, I guess easier because there's no real personal part involved. Um, the challenge would be understanding the other person's style and then writing along those lines. Um, if it's an explanatory article, then I find that to be maybe a little easier than just telling a story um, because you have a basic setup. You can just think about an article as an outline, maybe make an outline first. <laughs> That could be a good way to start an article. Um, you know, you're going to have a small introduction and a conclusion. But in the body of your work, what are you going to talk about? And so maybe lay out the an, an outline, point one, point two, point three, um, maybe subheadings, subheadings to go under subheadings if you need them. That helps me to kind of organize my thoughts and then lay out the article, um, then the writing's a little easier because you know you're going from point A to point B and how to kind of segue in between them, um, keep things that are related together. Yeah. Just kind of taking time to organize your thoughts and make an outline can really help. Um, if it's a story I'm telling, um, for example, you guys mentioned an article I just wrote. This was just kind of a personal experience. So I felt like that was much easier. Uh, it, it was simply just telling a story. The challenge to it was to make it, uh, you know, entertaining. Um, make sure it's not, because personal experience can be very entertaining for yourself, but maybe not for other people. So keeping it brief enough that it's still entertaining for other people, and then writing in a very conversational tone. I think that works for a story piece. Um, anyway, I think those are the practical things I would say to answer that question. So in terms of tools. I mean, do you do this on paper? Do you make the outline on paper or do you use certain, Usually, you know, you doing I it in use, Word or some, some other fancy application? I like to use Google Docs because the, the formatting is very easy there. It's easy to share if it's a story you're sending to someone. Um, and sometimes I, I do like to write on paper, but I feel like that's more like journaling to me and it's mm -hmm. double work if you write a story on paper and then you have to, you know, type it out later. So I'd rather just type it out <laughs> and then I don't have to do it twice. Yeah. And then, of course, um, you know, Google Docs does have a spell check, but Word has a great spell check. You can really customize it. So um, I, you know, my spelling's not perfect, but I run that thing through Word or Google Docs and make sure it is by the time you're finished with the article. So I would say definitely that's a, something to do. You don't have to be great with grammar and spelling um, as long as you check it in something um, before you send it off to someone else. All right, Carrie. So what about you? What's your what's your process? Well, I can see some similarities and differences. Um, so I'm a big planner as well. If I have a story that um, that I'm going to write, uh, so I get my stories through commissions where people will give me a they'll commission me to write something very specific and they'll say this is what I want covered this this and this 
or there are stories that I just do myself and I sell. Um, so I find a great story idea and then I'll put together the article um, from that. So they're mostly um, so the commission pieces are mostly magazine um, articles, magazine features, and the others are mostly um, news features. So um, I do plan what I'm going to write and I do it in a very specific way and you'll probably laugh at this, but it's always <laughs> on a colour um, on a coloured piece of paper so that I can find it. Um, <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And it's no, very, so little tricks like that yeah. make a difference. Yeah, you know? yeah. So in amongst all my notes for this particular story, I can find my plan and go back to it very easily. And it's got um, the headings of the things that I want to cover. And um, and then I do my research and my interviews and I put them all in a folder on the computer and then I let it sit and ferment mm -hmm. um, for a day or so until the lead paragraph um, pops up and then I can sit down and start writing knowing that everything is going to kind of flow from there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a kind of a, a weird but very specific um, way that works for me, I guess. Mm. I, I think so that I, I agree with the thinking about your introductory paragraph a lot mm. because that's the one yeah. that has to grab your attention. And Absolutely. I do think that I, maybe I didn't realize it until now, but I think I do put more thought into that one. Oh, definitely. And I find that once you have that lead paragraph, you might be the same, that then I can actually start writing knowing that, that, that it will flow fairly easily from there, um, that yeah, the rest so. of information will flow. And I think having that time for the research and the interviews just to sit in my mind and, and you know, as you're going about your day, you're thinking about things and kind of things rise to the top that have been said in an interview and that so that becomes a prominent thing because if it sticks in my mind, then it's quite likely going, going to stick in the reader's mind and make a good quote, kind of that sort of stuff. I, I find that really important, that fermenting process. Hmm. Does that help you decide what so, the the <laughs> point of your story will be? Because mm. every story needs a, a reason that it's told, I believe. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about is getting that angle into it. What's the reason for writing this story? What What is it going to tell people? What's it going to say to them? Yeah, definitely. And that's so... No, what's, the, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? And this is, I try, because I teach um, journalism and uh, feature writing as well. And this is what I tell my students. It's really important to get that angle into it and, and the reason for, for doing the article. That's so important. Hmm. I'd love to have you as my tutor, no. Carrie. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, don't, I, don't I feel like I could learn a lot from you. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Let me take it one step farther, Carrie. When you're writing an article or a story and it includes photos, mm -hmm. Do you write the, the article or have the article framed out and go shoot the photos? Um, or do you have the photos first and you work them into, or maybe even write the story around them? Mm. Or So it's, it's quite difficult because, so for example, the latest story, the two stories that I did were up, they're a three and a half hour drive from Perth. Um, so it's in, in country Western Australia. And I went up there for two days to do, for, you know, two days to do two stories, to write and photograph two stories. So it's a fairly limited time frame. And I can That's only hard. make, yeah, I can only make the one trip. So I have to be very organised in, um, in knowing, doing some research, knowing what my story is going to be about essentially, what I need to make, the ingredients I need to make the story and then having a plan, and I also plan out a shot, a shot list of the pho mm -hmm. photographs that would be suitable to go um, with that story and try and make sure I, I cover everything. Um, it's quite often difficult in that situation because what happens is I'll interview people and I'll have my uh, recording going and be recording them and then the interview will be over and we'll go 
out to start to take our photos and set things up. But what happens because the tape recorder's off or because the digital recorder's off, people feel more relaxed and so they want to have a chat <laughs> while you're doing the photos and they'll reveal these really interesting things that would also make a great part of your story. So then I have to kind of have a notepad close by and write down this anecdote that they've just told me <laughs> so that I remember it when I go back to do my story. So it's kind of being in two minds, a photographic mind but also a a writer's mind. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It probably doesn't. <laughs> Just saying that really does make sense that you have to have like, com- I don't know, like your mind in all these places, the recorded yeah. part, the not recorded part, the, the photograph, yeah. getting the right shot to match what you've just recorded and written down. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that sounds challenging. It's, it's quite complicated. And, um, you know, my husband thinks that I just go for a couple of days in the country and have a nice relax and I try to explain well it's actually it's actually really not that relaxing so I think that sometimes my husband thinks that I just go for a nice leisurely couple of days in the country whereas it's actually quite difficult and intense work it's quite exhausting thinking about everything that I need to get because I can only do that trip the once to get photographs and um, information although I can always follow up if I need more information with a phone call for sure. Yeah, but if it's yeah, but if it requires travel, mm. uh, like particularly photographically, if nothing came out, you'd have to go back and shoot again. Oh, that would be so, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. So you have a shot list, and you work from the shot list. Yeah. So do you get those must-have shots, and you know you've got those nailed, mm. and then maybe shoot some other things around the edges Absolutely. that might make it more interesting? Yeah. yeah, so that the editor's got a really good choice of images. You know, the big, wide, you know, sort of scene-setting shot, if you like, and then some tighter sorts of images that he can use as smaller shots in the page because, you know, the photographs are so important, aren't they? in attracting people's attention. That's... Yeah, I think so. That's a lot of the time, that's why people stop and look, because it's a great, great photo. Yeah, and when you're, I mean, when you're working as a journalist or Mm -hmm. photojournalist, I mean, you have time constraints. You don't have all day, you don't have all week. I mean, you have to get, you're out of town for one day, you have to get the shot. Yeah. Then, or you don't get it. Yeah. And you just pray that it's not uh, raining. It's great if it's not overcast, you know. Um, you just kind of pray for the elements to come together. They don't always. they just got to make, no, they don't. make the most, really, of what you've got, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. Yeah, or you have to work at high noon and bright sunlight. Yes, I've done and, that before. And, that, you know, that's what you have to do. Yeah. I mean, you've you know, you can't come back during the golden hour no. when this event or whatever is taking place at noon. Yeah. I'm curious about something else you're talking about. Yeah. When you record interviews, uh, what do you use? Are you just having them talk into your phone or do you use special yeah. equipment? I just use a digital recorder. I don't like using my phone because a mm-hmm. number of times I've uh, left my phone somewhere or... <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, dropped it, you know, dropped it in the river. And if it's got like that, that interview, that recorded interview is really important. So I try and get it off my digital recorder onto my computer as well. So I've got a duplicate copy. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a bit of a um, double checker, you know, I'm a, like I'm a contingency person. I like to put things in place in case something (laughs) goes wrong. So um, I always have two copies, yeah. So when you record, you're really, really recording more for your purposes to write? Yeah. Just to, as opposed to using that recording? Yep. I'm the only person that hears, hears the recording. It's just, it's just for my notes. As a journalist, I mean, do you have to be a jack-of-all-trades nowadays? I, I, I don't know if you ever saw the show, the TV program from the 1980s, Max Headroom. No. Uh, it was on in the U.S. You have to you have to watch it. It's it's really quirky, and it takes place in the future. Mm. And this guy works for this evil network, and there's like 
thousands of networks. And this is before the internet. I mean, the internet existed, but we didn't use it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was during Ronald Reagan's presidency. That's how far back it goes. And but he's like he's a reporter, mm-hmm. so yeah. he'd write the stories and yeah. he'd film the stuff. Yeah. And and we used to think, boy, how absurd is that? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reporter who writes, and you have the cameraman who takes the photo. You know, takes mm-hmm. the video. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, that's what's happening. We have the internet, and it seems like people who report the news now have to do everything. Yeah. I'm sorry to take so long to ask this question. Mm. You've got to watch Max Headroom. It's totally <laughs> bizarre. I will. I think you would really appreciate it. Yeah. So anyway, do you have to be a jack of all trades? Well, I think, look, look I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a, you know, not a one-trick pony, but I've got a couple of tricks. But um, I think that the journalism students that are coming through now have to be a jack of all trades. They have to know how to use a camera really well. They have to know how to take video really well. They have to know how to write really, really well. They do need to be really, really multi-skilled because that's going to be, well, that's what's expected because whatever they, um, whatever story they're covering, the news organisation is going to want it for the web page. They're going to want some, some video for it probably on the web page and they're also going to want a written story about it. So I think more than ever that, that students do need to um, gather as many skills as, as they can in terms of the, across those, you know, multimedia sort of um, things that they can use to be a journalist, most definitely. And it's so competitive. So anything you can do to give yourself an edge is going to be really good, definitely. You know, one thing I, I must have missed, I, but I heard you mention earlier when Ashley was asked her question, you talked about students. Mm. So are you teaching? Yes. Yeah, so I teach um, journalism. I'm a, I'm a um, what's called a sessional academic. So I just go in and give the students their practical sessions in journalism um, and photojournalism and um, sometimes in magazine writing as well. So I'll go and give their two or three hour practical workshops um, to give them those sort of practical skills. So these are students who are studying at a university? Yeah, Curtin University here in Perth. Yep, it's quite a big university, um, a big journalism wow. a big journalism school, definitely. Wow. Well, that's very cool. Yeah. To, yeah, to be shaping young minds like that. I know, and I have a really big class of, um, you know, uh, first-year um, students doing their first um, journalism um, unit and it's a really good class, really active, lots of questions, um, lots of, you know, challenging questions and lots of people soaking up, you know, just really soaking up the information, which is really good. I love those sort of classes. What do you, what do, you do? do you, are you a professional photographer? I guess it depends on how you define professional photographer. Yeah. I do shoot for hire. Yeah. And I just, well, as I told you earlier, I just moved. So I moved 500 miles away and I had, I had some local clients mm. in my old city, which was Cleveland, Ohio, which I, I now have to give up. Mm. I do shoot um, for hire, but I, that's not the bulk of my income. Actually, it's a very small part of it. So I wouldn't consider myself a professional mm. unless you just call a professional who gets paid once for something they do. Mm. And uh, so, no, mainly my main business is uh, web development. I'm a, a basically a WordPress developer ah. and I specialize in creating uh, websites people use for training. So I work with a lot of coaches and consultants mm-hmm. and anybody who has something to teach online mm. mainly smaller ones I, I i'll work with some larger nonprofits. i have a few clients up in washington dc and so I, I do a lot of that although i'm i'm phasing that out and spending more time with the magazine the magazine has really grown and yeah. i just love doing it and oh. i'm trained as a journalist originally and it's nice to be actually working in the field that I was trained to be in. Oh, isn't that interesting? So you know what I'm talking about then when I talk about journalism. I do. And that's, yeah, that's why it's, it, it's nice to get somebody's perspective who's been doing it for quite a while. Yeah. So. Oh, and I love the magazine. I can't wait to, um, you know, I've had a look at my uh, some initial articles and I'm going to take my subscription so I can get um, see it, you know, regularly. 
Because I think it's really interesting to be able to read about how other people do things and their experiences. And I love being in touch in that way, perhaps more so than I use um, Facebook, although I do belong to your Facebook group. Um, I think, you know, reading um, about other people's experiences in magazines and through podcasts, as I think is really important. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I love listening to podcasts. Yeah. And yeah, and the, mag- yeah the magazine's all about, you know, uh, people who do photography. I mean, I'm a, I consider myself a journalist and my beat is photographers. Yeah. Uh, mainly. So it's pretty narrow, but um, <laughs> it's all about, you know, I mean, I, st- I got into this because I'm not a great photographer and I want to get better. Yeah. And I love street photography. Yeah. And so this is sort of my journey to learn things from other people yeah. and basically sharing that with everybody. And I, I love talking to photographers. I love talking to writers. I like talking to creative people in general. Yeah. And so we actually create content as a result of that. And a lot of people like to create articles and write about things they've done and what they've learned in the process and how they did it. And that's what you generally find in the magazine. Mm. And it's a big world out there. A lot of great photographers oh, who I know. don't get a yeah. lot of recognition. Yeah. And, and uh, there's just so many. Oh, I so know. So many. Even in Perth here, because Perth, we're a little bit tucked away and a little bit isolated. And I yeah. know there's some really fantastic street photographers out there who aren't really into yes. self-promotion. So no one really knows about them, you know. They just go about their thing, taking their photographs, and and um, yeah, I I would love to see some of them, you know, get some attention as well because there's some really good photographers. How did you um, get into street photography? I got into it. Well, you know, I think I've been interest, interested in it my entire life. Mm. Um, I grew up basically in the black and white era my my parents had life magazine and look oh. magazine yeah and i and they were full of pictures and i loved looking at the photographs and they were mainly about real life and so i tend to gravitate towards you know real life images and um so that's always been in the back of my head of you know being trained as a journalist i i really I think I gravitate to more of a photojournalistic style. Yeah. And then my son uh, went to college to become a, a photojournalist, which I was thrilled about. And he, he's really good at it. Very, very talented photographer. And, you know, just learned a lot from the style he learned. And mm. practically, I'll, I'll tell you, I was um, back maybe about 12, 13, 14 years ago, I was taking courses, online courses in photography, and I took one in photojournalism. Uh, and I happened to be on vacation in San Francisco at the time and uh, during this course, and I did a lot of my field work in San Francisco and Monterey and, you know, California, and just I just fell in love with it. And I met a couple of people in the course who I kept in touch with, and uh, one guy, uh, Joe Wigfall, in New York City, was really into street photography, and together we created a Flickr group, and which kept it together for a few years, and, and Joe was an amazing street photographer. He's, he's kind of drifted away from it. And we had another woman in our group, Rania Galka, who happened to be the first featured photographer in our magazine, I contacted her when I started the magazine, and she agreed to be featured photographer. She's in London and now working full time as a photographer, and she's just really good. And I don't know, I just kept doing it. I mm. I started the magazine as uh, really to test the technology that I because I thought it would work well for um, for training. Mm. And uh, so I bought this license, and I and I had to create a magazine. You know, after I spent this money, and I was, I could, I thought, well, I could either do it on managing a membership site or street photography, something I love to do. Yeah. And I chose the hobby, and that was five and a half years ago. Wow. Wow, that's kind of a lengthy answer. I'm sorry. No, but, and the magazine is, is going well. Yeah, it's going well. Yeah. It continues to grow. Uh, we have a really ravenous community. Yeah. I mean, people just, you know, in any hobby, people just love it. Mm. 
And we many people like to contribute to the magazine. So if anybody's listening, if you want, if you have an article you want want to publish, send it over to us. Mm, I might have um, a go at that. I've, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, at least individual photos. You know, people can publish individual photos, write articles. Um, you know, review equipment, whatever. Mm. And so it's been fun. I, I've been selected to be a juror on several contests mm. uh, internationally. Um, first one being in uh, in Siena, the SIPA contest, Siena International Photography Awards, which is absolutely amazing. The photographers, anybody who makes the the cut to be even judged could probably be published in National Geographic. It's just wow, just amazing the people who are in that contest. And we we actually went to Siena. Uh, we were on vacation in Italy. We actually changed our itinerary so we'd go to Siena and meet the people there in person who were really cool. Just from doing this, I've met so many neat people like yourself. Yeah, like who are really passionate about, about it. Yeah, mm. about mm. it. And I just love photography in general, not mm. just street photography, mm. but... You know, hey, portrait I, photography. I don't know if um, what the laws around street photography are in America. I think they're much the same as they are here, that if you're on the street or in a public place, you can take a photo. Is that right? You can take a photo? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, basically. Hmm. Um, we don't really have any laws. Well, I don't think we have any laws in general, actually. <laughs> but uh, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But uh, yeah, there really there's no law that actually governs it. I mean, you know, common decency always helps. But if yeah, if you take a photograph of somebody in a public place, um, you can publish that. You can't use it in like an advertisement or a billboard. Mm. So you would need a model release for that. But for editorial purposes, uh, you don't need it. Mm. Yeah. So I had an experience, and I. I hope you don't mind if I share it with you just briefly of, um, no, please. So I was out on, I was wanted to challenge myself, um, photographing under difficult lighting situations. So I got a group of uh, fellow street photographers together and we went out to an area in the city at night. It was probably nine or 10 o'clock at night. It was quite late hoping uh, to get that sort of, yeah. um, nightclub set, you know, um, in, in Northbridge, which is, as I said, is our sort of city entertainment area. So we were out there photographing and there was a scene um, on a street corner where police, there'd been a fight and police were apprehending. And I'd been photographing, so I just continued kind of photographing, not particularly photographing any, you know, the police or 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 even who they were apprehending, just really the scene, I guess, and the people around. And the um, police officer uh, ordered me to stop photographing, um, which I did, Mm -hmm. which I did straight away, even though in Australia we're entitled to photograph in a public place if we, um, you know, if we want to. There's no laws around that. Um, But he insisted I stop um, photographing, and when I tried to explain to him about this um <laughs> about the, about the law <laughs> explaining i was uh-huh. explaining to a policeman about about the law and um that i actually was entitled to photograph in a public place uh he he wouldn't have anything um you know he would he wouldn't listen he just um you know kept insisting that i go away i wasn't photographing i must say at this stage i put my camera away right from the start i just wanted to let him know that well that he was wrong, basically. Yeah. And anyway, I, I turned to walk away from him, back to my group of friends, and he followed me, and he, uh, and really? he, and he grabbed me, and he really, yeah, yeah. So he's he's assaulted me, and he's pushed me across to the other side of oh. the street. So, and this is on. I've seen the CCT. Um, vision. So I've seen the cameras that were on the spot at the time, and and it was actually mm-hmm. much worse than I thought originally. Originally, I thought you know a certain way, and then I saw this, and it was actually much worse the way that he behaved. But it just goes to show um, that uh, this is something that, as a street photographer, 
you might be faced with. And that even though you're legally right, doesn't mean that you're necessarily safe, even from someone who should know the law, which is a police officer. Uh, And that really shook Mm -hmm. me up for a really, really long time. Um, When taking photographs on the street, it really shook, it really shook my confidence a lot. Yeah, just because you're right, Mm. it still hurts to be pushed or punched by somebody larger than you. Mm. And it's, wow, that's really something. Did you you do anything about it? Did you file a complaint? Oh, um, I absolutely did, yes. Um, And uh, I've just got the results of the investigation uh, a few days ago, and it is as I thought it would be. It's little more than a slap on the wrist to the police officer. So he was yeah. he was called in um, to his superiors and he was uh, educated about the law um, and the law as it yeah. stands that people are allowed to take photographs. And he was um, counselled about using force um, unnecessarily. So uh, it was a pretty light um, penalty, I, I feel, for what was an assault on someone who who was not in the wrong and who wasn't doing any anything wrong at all, who did everything right. That's right. Yeah. So maybe... That's right. Because you, know, hmm. yeah, because you weren't, like, hurting somebody else and he had to stop you. I mean, you were, you were walking away. Yep, walking away and he followed me and grabbed me. It was quite, it's quite scary. So, you know, it's something that... Um, you know, maybe people might be interested in when they're out photographing in the street. I know that often, you know, people might might get cranky at us and tell us not to take their photo, but this is something else that could happen if you're in that sort of an area. You know, but it, having said that, it was such fun uh, seeing the different people around. There were people, at, you know, outside the strip club in their Superman outfits and. Oh, it was it was pretty wild. Um, it was great, you know, to get some interesting photographs of a street in a, at a different time of the day than you normally see it, I guess, and a different group of people. Oh. Yeah, I love photographing at night. Yeah. I, it's actually my favorite. You know, with cameras today, they can practically see in the dark, so why not? Yeah. So, what sort of camera do you shoot with when you're doing your street photography? Primarily, I have a Fuji X100F. Okay. Um, is that a fixed lens? I love. Yes. Yep. Yes, it is. It's a 35 millimeter equivalent. Although I have, uh, I have a wide uh, adapter, which I got just a few months ago. I really prefer to shoot wider than 35. Mm. So that uh, that makes it an equivalent of about 20, 27, I think. Yeah. Uh, which which I prefer, and I, I basically haven't taken that adapter off, and they work really well. It's wow. like screwing a thing on the front of your lens. I'm thinking about getting the 50, one that it, uh, brings it out to a 50 millimeter. But uh, I also have a Fuji X-T1 that I'll typically shoot with a with an 18, which is the same as the adapter on the other one. Yeah. So yeah, I like to. I prefer to shoot wide. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been using the Fujis really since the X100 came out several years ago. Yeah. And just, I just like the way it feels. You know, all cameras are good. I don't know. What do you use? Uh so for usually for street photography, I use. I've just got a little um, XT Fuji XT20. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I use yep. a twenty-seven, nice camera, twenty-seven mil on that. Oh, yeah. The the little pancake lens. Yeah, the little pancake lens. Or I also have. Yeah, a... I've got that one too. Oh, have you? I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I... yeah, it's a little long for me, but I I like it. It's so small. Mm. And I have a sixteen to fifty-five, which I also use. I've got that too. Oh yeah, I really like. I love it. it. Yeah. And, I love it. Um, when I had cannons, I had. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say for for um, for some other work for probably for my photojournalism work, I I tend to use the um, uh, my Nikon D600, which I'm looking to mm-hmm. to upgrade. I'm I'm actually conflicted, and you may be able to help me. 
Um, I'm conflicted about whether to upgrade my Nikon or whether to upgrade my Fuji. I, I don't want to run two systems. I want to run one system, but I can't decide which one to go with. <laughs> Have you got Well, yeah. I, I, I lean more towards the, um, um, towards the mirrorless now. Mm -hmm. They've gotten so good. Um, but, I know uh, Ashley's husband has the D850. Okay. Which I think is, yours is a full frame, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so it depends if you want to keep shooting full frame, plus you have the lenses. Yeah. And they're not cheap, but the, those are big cameras. Yeah. Um, you know, it just depends if you want to go lighter. Yeah. Um, I mean, upgrading that body is probably the cheaper way to go. But and it depends on how long, how long of a lens you you want to use if you're i mean if you tend to shoot with that 16 to 55 and you don't need full frame mm. um you know move into the fuji x xt2 mm. that looks nice x Pro i like 2. that yeah yeah it's nice i you know I, i'm tempted to get it but i don't use it that much yeah um i mean i do my client work with the xt1 i shoot raw mm. and nobody's ever complained that I didn't have, you know, a Canon or a Nikon. Yeah. You know, the images the images are good. But, mm. you know, if you like the full frame and, you know, the ability to blur the background more, mm. uh, you know, it's, mm. it's, you know, it's just a matter of taste. Because like <laughs> I said, they're all so good. Yeah, it's uh, hard. If you're, if you're walking around all day, it really helps to have that, that smaller body and lens. Mm. That was helpful, wasn't it? Uh, look, it's probably the same answer I've got from the 26 people that have asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to Fuji and forget it. Yeah. Well, it's funny, uh, one of our one of the members of our forum, matter of fact, uh, yeah, Randall Roberts, uh, actually got to shoot with one day, came up to the Republican National Convention and we spent the day on the street shooting there a couple of years ago. But anyway, he had a ton of Nikon gear, and he also shot with the Fuji on the street. He just I just saw a thing from him on our Facebook page. He sold all of his Nikon gear. He has the two adapter lenses for the Fuji. He has the X100F now as well, and he said that's all he's using. Wow. I've, I've heard of people doing that here as well. Yeah, professionals yeah. just selling their whole Nikon kit and going across to the Fuji. Fuji. Yeah, that that or the um, Olympus mm. is really good and mm -hmm. much lighter. Mm. But you know, you've got uh, you know the thing is, if you sell, you try to sell a Nikon lens online, you'll sell it in about thirty seconds. Mm. I sold yeah all my Canon L lenses, and uh, I use. Um, this is a good tip for anybody if, uh, to buy and sell gear. Uh, FredMiranda.com is a great place. It's a nice community of people, and you're not, you know, dealing with who knows who on eBay. Mm. And it's a good place to buy and sell used gear. Okay. And uh, so I sold all my lenses on there in less than a day. Oh, wow. So that was your Canon lenses, did you say? Yeah, I sold my Canon lenses. Wow. And I kept one body and, and one... You know, one of those all-in-one lenses goes yeah. from like eighteen to two hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, I just can't, I can't let go of it. Mm -hmm. And but that's what I did. And just you know, made the big different. switch across to the Fuji mirrorless, yeah, because it's because yeah. it's lighter. Because it's yeah, it's lighter, mm -hmm. and the quality's great. Uh, when I shoot with it, I if I'm not being paid, I shoot. I shoot uh, JPEGs only, mm. and the J Fuji JPEGs are just just phenomenal. Um, of course, I imagine being a photojournalist, you're just shooting JPEGs, right? Uh, sometimes I shoot JPEGs, and sometimes I shoot RAW. So yeah, so usually for the photojournalism work, I'll I'll work in JPEGs. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because you've got to get to them so quickly, and yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, I tell you, I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's... But 
Hmm. Oh, keep going. Oh, I'm, you say? I'm still paralyzed by indecision. So I've had some money to invest <laughs> on a new camera. Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, okay. I, I still don't. Well, I'll make the decision. For, hmm. Yeah, I'll make the decision for you. Get the Fuji hmm. X-T2. Hmm. It was on sale. You know, they're coming out. They should be coming out with the X-T3. Oh, really? Shortly. Maybe they did because I've been like completely unplugged. Mm. After during my move, and I haven't even looked at any of the camera news. Oh. But if they come out with the X-T3, you should be able to get the mm. X-T2 for a good price. Yeah, that's true, you know. I was holding off till they brought out those new Nikon mirrorless, which they've just bought out. That sounds very nice. Yeah, but the reviews are, are not fulsome, and people don't seem to have used them enough to get a really good understanding yet. I think they're just a bit... That's true. I need to wait a little while until some really solid reviews yeah. come come out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, Camera Labs always does a really good one. Okay. And uh, very thorough. Very thorough review. Oh, good. I'll check it out. Yeah, there's uh, there's so many people. To, a lot of people use the use camera reviews as link bait, and they're not very detailed. Yes, but, you know, and some of these guys are just they're amazing. Well, Carrie, mm. looks like our, we're we're running short on time All here. Right. And um, but before we go, I'd I'd like you to tell people where they can learn more about you. Oh, okay. So I have... And see uh, your work. Yeah. So uh, I think... We didn't even talk about your photos. Oh, that's okay. Maybe we can talk about that another time. <laughs> um, so I have an Instagram. Um, I have an Instagram account, which is just at Kerry Fork. So it's K-E-R-R-Y-F-A-U-L-K. And uh, it would be lovely to see some people uh, visit and, and I could um, check out some of those people's... Uh, photographs as well and I also have a web page which is more t um, tailored to all my writing work which is just uh, uh, Faulkner Journalist so F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R journalist.com forward slash so that's yeah that tells you all about me all you want to know well that's good nice and simple all right we'll put links to it in the show and um, that sounds great well I've got to thank you for taking the time and uh, even giving it a try when you had a bad cold last week. Yes, I'm so sorry about that coughing in your ear. And thank you so much for having me. I just feel that, uh, um, yeah, I could chat forever as well about, 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 about street photography and photography. So it's been really good to talk to you. Thanks for, you know, taking the time and, and showing an interest. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Street Photography Magazine. It is the number one source for inspiration, education, and publication for street photographers everywhere. It's made by street photographers for street photographers. Street Photography Magazine is published once a month, plus a few bonus issues throughout the year. Each issue includes an interview with our featured photographer to discuss how they work and take a deep dive into some of their photos. It also includes photo projects and photo stories from photographers around the world to inspire you. And it's a place for you to publish your work to be recognized. For example, the Street Shooters of the Month section of the magazine. It features photos from members of our community. And many of our featured photographers have been selected from that group. So stop trying to go it alone and join the community. All of this for less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. Stop over and subscribe now at streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe.